Pretty this finds you having a wonderful day. Looking forward to getting into our time together. And uh, we're going to be, of course, in the book of James. And we're going to uh, be looking at, uh, you could almost say, a very personal issue. Um, as James is going to um, really hold no punches back uh, here in this passage. Um, we've been talking about trials. We've been talking about uh, why that we should have joy in the middle of those trials. We've been talking about uh, from the, fi- uh, the aspect of finances and faith, um, as we looked at last week. And we also looking at the idea of being a, a mature follower of Christ. Um, but today, James is going to um, begin with verse 13. He's going to go into this passage and... Um, Again, he's really going to hold no punches. And I want us to be able to take this passage of Scripture, be able to really hear what it's saying. Um, And and I'll explain that a little bit more. I think that sometimes we listen to a passage of Scripture, but we don't really hear what it's saying. And I think this is especially true for people who are followers of Christ, who are disciples of Christ. Uh, Maybe you could say who have been saved for a little while. And we almost kind of have our spiritual routine of living. Um, We kind of have our spiritual routine and way of uh, studying, praying, serving, things of that nature. And... I think what happens sometimes is we we forget the basics. Um, That's one of the things that I will say while serving in the military. Um, I hated it at the time. But as I continued to serve and grew in rank and was able to really understand things, we were constantly going back to the basics to remind ourselves of why we did what we did. And in the middle of that, it was frustrating. It was like, oh my goodness, I already know how to do this. But what I would find is that there was small moments that maybe I would either get in a hurry or I would forget or um, I wouldn't take it seriously enough. And I would blunder up whatever I was doing simply for the fact I took for granted that I knew the basics. And when I began to understand that we were rehearsing and revisiting these basics, so that way they become so natural they just happened rather than us doing them. And then it also helped us to understand consistently the why we did what we did. It was amazing how it changed my perspective of serving in the military and then also changed uh, the way that I led others. And one of the things that James is going to be doing here is he's going to dive back into this idea of trials, looking at it personally. Because if you remember in in verse 2 through 4, he told us that we need to have joy in the middle of trials and that the trials are to conform us more into the image of the Son of God. So now he's going to get back into this idea of the trials and he's going to be a lot more specific with um, trials, but he's going to be more specific by adding in the concept and the idea of temptation. And I think this is very important for us because, and I'm not saying this in in a a negative light, 
But I would dare say that if we were to poll the majority of people who go to church today, and that's why I notice I didn't say people who were saved or people who are disciples of Christ. I said people who go to church because not everybody who goes to church is a disciple of Christ. But what I would say is if we polled the majority of people who go to church today, they, they really do not understand the difference or that there is even a difference in trials and temptation. I would dare say that most people who go to church see trials and temptation as the same thing, just interchangeable words. But James is going to teach us here, they are completely opposite of each other. So let's just dive in. I wanted to kind of set the stage with that as we get ready to dive in here in verse 13. And it says, No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and He Himself doesn't tempt anyone. Alright? So I want us to stop right there because I don't want to continue reading on and to start thinking about the next verse without understanding contextually this verse. James has talked about the idea that as followers of Christ, as disciples of Christ, we will have trials. And we are to count them joy because when we have these trials, we are going to um, see them affect our lives to the point that we are going to grow in our faith with Christ. We are going to be more conformed to the image of the Son of God. And we are going to be more mature followers of Christ. Now, what he is saying here is he's beginning to show that difference between trial and temptation. What he's telling us is when you are going through a trial, understand that it is not temptation. But here's a little nugget that you need to read into this. Understand that temptation will come in your trial. Because notice what he says. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. I am being, which means a current activity. So when you are undergoing a trial and temptation does come your way, do not believe that it's coming from God. So, reading into what James is saying here, it is a surefire guarantee you will face temptation in the middle of your trial. Why is that so vitally important? Because it goes back to what I said just a few minutes ago about that poll. This shows that there is a differentiation between trials and temptations. Trials come from God. Temptations do not. Trials come from God to conform us into the image of the Son of God. Temptations come in the middle of our trial in order to prevent us from being conformed into the image of His Son. I remember teaching this passage not long ago. One of the things that I told our people is, is I said, you can write the word exit ramp right here. Alright? And I used the example of going on a journey. And one of the things that can happen, and I'll, you know, I'll use myself because, again, I don't have to find too many other people for examples. My wife uh, says that I am a horrible person to travel with because I love to get where I'm going. Um, I'm not big on multiple stops on trips. I stop when it's absolutely necessary. And the reason being is because a simple gas station stop that should take, you know, 8 to 10 minutes, usually ends up taking 30 to 35 minutes or longer because once we stop, it's like, well, let's stretch our legs. Let's look for some candy. Let's get something to drink. And let's do, let's do, let's do. 
And for me, I'm just the kind of person, if, especially if I'm traveling long distances, you know, five hours or more, I want to get to where I'm going. I don't like being on the road. And it's not because I'm, I'm kind of like this, this guy who's just a miserable travel person. The road is dangerous. And the longer I'm on the road, the more danger that I'm potentially going to have happen. Um, and, and part of it is because of just some crazy drivers out there. And for me, the less time I spend on the road, the safer that my family's going to be. And so one of the things that happens in our lives when trials are coming, we may not like the trial that's there, but as we see that we're being more conformed into the image of our, into the image of our Savior, the Son of God, we, we, the trial isn't as bad. The problem is, is that first part of the trial. And what happens is we'll, we'll kind of begin on that journey of the trial. And one of the things that Satan wants to do is he wants to offer an exit ramp for us. He wants us to be able to kind of just quit. He wants us to be able to, to take that exit ramp and say, you know what? You've had enough today. Just kind of take this exit ramp over here and just relax for a little while. The problem is, is when we begin to be tempted to take that exit ramp, we really don't want to get back on the road. And the reason we don't want to get back on the road is because we understand that by getting back on the road, we're going to be getting back into the trial. And we don't like it when we're, we're pressed. We don't like it when we're overwhelmed. We don't like it when we, we, we begin to kind of look at our own lives and, and we start seeing flaws and we start seeing areas where we need to grow. And we don't like that idea of, uh, you know, kind of hardships. And what Satan does with that exit ramp is he just makes it seem like, you know what? Listen, you, you read your Bible as often as you can. You serve whenever, you know, you got an opportunity. Listen, everybody's busy right now. Everybody's struggling with their time management and all that kind of stuff. Listen, you're putting too much pressure on yourself. You're a good Christian. You're a good person. And you get all of this, you know, tempting love on you on that exit ramp to where you start looking at it and saying, you know what? I really don't want to be tried right now. I don't really want these trials in my life. I don't want to go through these hardships and things of that nature. And what we start doing then, and, and here's the key of what I want you to understand. We began maybe even without even realizing it to see Satan more as someone who cares for us than God. See, what happens is, is when we begin to take too many exit ramps and we're, we're spending less time <clears throat> being conformed into the image of God's Son, what happens is, is we start looking at God as kind of this cruel authoritarian father. This, this father who's constantly trying to change us. This, this father who's constantly pointing out all of our flaws. This father who's constantly trying to to make us be conformed into the image of the Son of God rather than a God who loves us. A God who is not conforming us into the image of His Son because He doesn't love us or He doesn't care for us or He constantly seeing flaws in us because, but because He wants the best for us. And see, what we do is we start listening to all of that over here from the enemy of we're a good person, we're a good Christian, we don't need all of this extra stuff on our lives 
And we began to kind of push away from it and we began to see God in the light we shouldn't. And we start seeing the word trial as negative rather than temptation. And see, that's the mastery of Satan. Satan takes the things that are meant for evil and he twists it to make you think that it's not so evil anymore. He begins to twist temptation and not make you think that temptation leads to sin. But that temptation leads to choice. And you're just choosing not to go through the trial rather than you are rebelling against your father. See, that's how delicate this situation is. That's how delicate the spiritual walk is, is being able to understand and see how easy the enemy will manipulate. So James is saying whenever you're in the middle of a trial and you are being tempted, it is not from God. God in no way, shape, form, or fashion is tempting you. And here's the reason why. A trial leads to growth in your faith and conforming to be more like Jesus. Temptation always leads to sin. That's the big difference. Trials do not lead to sin. Trials lead to growth in faith and conforming into more into Jesus every day. But temptation leads to sin. And that's why he says, since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. Now, I know you may look at it and say, well, aren't there passages in Scripture that kind of read like God is tempting? Well, it uses that word. But if you look at it, it's not that God it's not that God himself is tempting in the way we see. The word tempting there is referring to trials. Testing. He's allowing the faith to be tested. One of the greatest examples of that is Job. God was not tempting Job. God was testing Job. When you look at Matthew chapter 4, when it says that Jesus entered into the wilderness to be tempted, it wasn't that God sent Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. He was allowing Jesus to be tested. And notice that after Jesus had been in the wilderness for 40 days and fasted for 40 days, then the tempter came. See, he was being tested in that 40-day period of time. Then temptation came in the middle of the testing. Go back and reread Matthew 4. See, it's not so much about the temptation as it was the testing beforehand. Satan tempted Jesus in, his, in the middle of his trial. See, t- Satan is not going to tempt us at, at, outside of the trial because that's when we're, we're walking closely with the Lord. It's in the middle of the trial that our faith becomes kind of weak, that we become weak physically, emotionally, mentally. And it's in that period of time that the temptation comes. So it's not that God tempted these people. God allowed them to be tested But in the middle of their testing, in the middle of their trial, temptation come. 
That's why verse 14 is so important. And I wanted to make sure that we got the context of verse 13 before we went into verse 14. Here, look at verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. So, so important here. Why? Because James is telling us that we are not allowed to use the phrase, the devil made me do it. All the devil does is tempt. You choose to give in to that temptation. Why? Because of your own evil desires. See, this is the crux of this whole podcast session today, right here. This is where we're going to hunker down. Because this is what I'm talking about in the idea that I brought up in the very beginning. That this makes it personal. And that many people who have been followers for Christ for a long time, they forget the basics. We forget that we were born with a sinful nature. Now, you may fire right back at me and say, now hold on. Don't we read in Paul's epistles in the different, you know, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians that at different times Paul talks about a new creation in the book of First and Second Corinthians, talks about a new creation, uh, talks about the old man passing away, all things are new. You, you know, now, Jeremiah, you're wrong. Hold on. Jesus frees me from the penalty of sin through salvation. But I'm not free from the effect of sin. I'm not free from my sinful nature. My flesh is still here. My sinful flesh did not get redeemed. That's why I'm in a constant battle between my spiritual nature and my fleshly nature. My fleshly nature wants to choose sin every single time. My spiritual nature wants to choose Jesus. And what happens is what James is talking about here is when I'm in the middle of a trial and temptation comes to me from the enemy in the middle of that trial, my sinful nature wants to choose evil because that's what it's made of. I don't want to suffer. This past week I've been changing up my workout and I'm working out some some different muscles and I'm telling you I am so sore in certain areas. And this morning I started my workout and I remember when I first started it, it was just like I was screaming on the inside of, gosh, this is so sore. And it was hurting. And there was part of me that said, Jeremiah, you are an idiot for doing this. Why are you bringing so much pain to yourself? Why are you hurting yourself? You're so sore. Why are you continuing to, you know, Add pain on to pain. But then you know what I found? After that first rotation of reps, man, that soreness kind of worked itself out. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but when, when you work out, do you realize that when you strain the muscle, what you're actually doing is you're tearing the muscle. When you're lifting more weight or you're working on a specific muscle you're actually tearing the muscles and blood is rushing to those muscles. 
And the blood, when it rushes to those muscles, is trying to heal it and also build it up. That's why your muscle actually gets built up. But in that process, there's soreness there. But after the soreness wears off, you see the effect of what you've done in the workout. That's the idea of the trial. The trial is to build up our faith. The problem is, is there's soreness that comes in in the middle of that. And that's where the temptation comes to say, why are you bothering with this? You're not one of those Jesus freaks. You're not a pastor. You're not a preacher. You're not a Sunday school teacher. You're not a a worship leader. You're not a missionary. Why are you working so hard at reading your Bible? Why are you working so hard at, at spending time in prayer? Why are you trying to be such a devoted disciple to Jesus? That's that soreness that's working in that the enemy is saying, why are you wasting your time doing this when you're good enough as you are? No, you're not. See, if all we do, I'm not saying that you have to be buff and bulked and everything like that, but if we don't use our body, our body will deteriorate. If we don't have some type of exercise, whether it's just simply walking or whether you have a gym membership and you work out five hours a day, we have to work our bodies in order to be able to keep them functioning properly because they'll deteriorate. It's the same thing spiritually. If we keep giving in to temptations over and over in the middle of a trial to quit, we will never be able to fully be conformed into the image of God's Son. Because we'll constantly be given up. And see, that's what the temptation wants. The temptation wants you to give up on what God's doing and choose sin. Why? Because when you choose sin, now guilt comes in. Now shame comes in. Now separation comes in. See, you don't lose your salvation, but you have a separation in your relationship. This is the way I describe it to people. When me and my wife get into an argument and one goes to one room and one goes to the other room, that doesn't mean we're not married anymore. What it means is that we have a break in our relationship right now because neither one of us want to talk to the other one. Why? Because we both know that we've acted stupid. We both know that we've said things that we shouldn't have said. And now we're in that process to determine who's willing to be the one to apologize first. Because there will be no reconciliation of that relationship until someone apologizes. See, what happens in our relationship with the Lord, it's only one way. We're the ones who mess it up. God never does. So what happens is when we choose to sin based on the temptation that's been given to us, we have to come to a point to where we have to come back to God and apologize, which is the word repentance, which means we come back and say, God, I repent of this sin. I ask you to forgive me, and I want to turn away and not go walk down this path again. And that's hard for us to do sometimes. Because see, when, when you again look at this, notice he says, each person is tempted when they are drawn away and enticed by their own evil desire. See, the reason why temptation hits us so hard is because we begin to recognize I'm not so conformed into the image of the Son of God as I thought. I thought I was through with that sin. I thought that small sins like that didn't affect me anymore. 
I thought I was better than that. See, what happens is that guilt and shame comes in and you start self-condemning your, you know, yourself. You start looking at yourself and you start beating yourself up because you thought you were better than that. You thought that that wasn't going to be the case with you. And the same enemy who was sitting there tempting you and telling you, you know what, you're a good Christian. You're fine. You don't need to worry about it. You're doing the best you can. The same one that was saying all of that at the beginning of the temptation, now that you've given in to that temptation and you've seen, guess what he's saying? You're a loser. You are the worst Christian ever. Are you even a Christian? You're not acting like a Christian. Do you not see how the enemy works and manipulates? At the beginning of the temptation, he's doing everything to convince you that you are good enough in and of your own strength. The moment you choose that temptation and give in to that sin, you're the worst person that's ever took a breath of life. That's his method. It hasn't changed from Eve in the garden till now. The problem is, is that he is such a master at manipulating and tempting our fleshly nature because he knows what can get each one of us. Some people don't really struggle with lust and pornography. Some people, they see a woman walk by scantily clad, they're tore all to pieces, and they're thinking thoughts that they should never think. Some people don't have a problem with gluttony. Others... That is the biggest thing that they struggle with in their life because they eat in order to uh, take care of their stress, their anxiety, their depression, their being overwhelmed. Some people don't struggle with cussing. Some people, man, it, it, every time they hit their fingers, stub their toe or whatever it may be, it, it's, it is, that's the first thing that comes out of their mouth. See, not everybody struggles with the same thing and the enemy knows exactly what you struggle with. He knows exactly the things that can tempt you to make you choose sin. And what he does is he makes it very personal because he doesn't have the same strategy for everybody. It is specifically implemented just for you. So now here comes my question. For you... For me, do you know what areas you're weak in? And what are you doing about it? What are some of the areas you're weak in? And what are you doing about it? Are you even aware that you have weak areas? Now, I want to make sure to say something too, and Adrian Rogers made this statement. He said, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. Oftentimes what we may do, we may hear a podcast like this or read this passage of scripture or hear a sermon on this, and we look at it and say, okay, well, I've got to focus on these areas of weakness. And what you're doing then is you're not guarding the areas that you think you're confident in. It may be that you say, you know what, I know that that I don't have a problem with this over here, but I know that I have a problem with this. So instead of continuing to strengthen the area you know you don't have a problem with, you completely neglect that overall. To go over here and work on your weakness, and guess what? Now that strength that you thought you had becomes a double weakness now. See, what it is, it's both and, not either or. It's not... 
looking at my weaknesses and disregarding my strengths. It's continually building up my strengths, but noticing my weaknesses and beginning to make those strengths as well. But it's not a comfortable thing to come to terms with the areas that I'm weak in. Because you know what that really means? Those are areas that I'm not conformed to the image of the Son of God. Can I take it a step further? Those might also be areas that God has brought trials into your life to conform you more into the image of the Son of God. But because it hurts, because when He brings those trials into your life, you become very hyper-aware of how sinful your nature really is, you kind of take the temptation and take the exit ramp off. And God's not been able to continue to finish the work that He started in you. That's why there's times that I'll talk to people and they'll make the statement, you know what, I just can't get over this sin. You talk to, you know, men, and, 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 you know, it's not that women don't have this problem, but you sit down and you talk to men, one of the biggest problems that men have is lust. One of the biggest problems that men have is pornography, um, looking at things online, looking at magazines. Um, and then the other part is, is, is believing that just because you don't look at pictures of naked women, but you just look at pictures of women maybe in scantily clad clothes, things of that nature, you don't see that as a big deal. Maybe you scroll through videos and, and those videos you linger a little extra long on. You don't really see it as a problem, but you know that it's not something you should be doing. And one of the things that I find is that there's a lot of men that will have that issue of, you know, I don't really see it as a problem. But then they, they see it as a problem. And they're not able to get over it. They're not able to get it out of their system because they have too much access to it. They're not willing to cut those things out. They're not willing to let God really work in their lives. They're not willing to let God continue working in their lives the way that He had previously. What they're doing is they're just kind of getting through day to day and they're hoping that they don't slip up today. But see, what we're not doing is we're not giving ourselves over to letting God have full reign in these areas of our lives and saying, God, if this trial is coming, then, then go ahead and, and, and do the work and, and help me to not want to get out of it too early and help me not want to quit too early. Because see, look what happens here in verse 15, and this is where we're going to stop. Or verse, yeah, verse 15. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. You remember that passage in the book of Romans that you learned a long time ago when you went to Sunday school? It's in the Romans road. For the wages of sin is death. You want me to tell you one of the biggest misconceptions that we have about that verse? Is we only think about it from a salvation standpoint. We look at it and say, my sin will bring death and that's hell. So if I get saved, then I escape that death. No, can, can I take it a step further? Every time you sin, you bring death into your life. Every single time that you sin, the wages of sin. 
Every time you sin, it brings death. Let's reread this. Verse 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. It doesn't say that that's only concerning your salvation. That is what happens every single time you give in to temptation. The reason why that so many people struggle with the same sins over and over and over is because they keep committing that sin over and over and it is bringing death into their life. It is bringing death into their heart. It is callousing their heart over to the point that they don't even recognize the damage that it's doing because they aren't repenting of it. They're just sorry for it. See, we live in such a day and time to where we're no longer repenting of sin. We're just sorry we get caught and that we're, we're just saying, you know, God, ah, oh, you got me on this one. And the problem is, is instead of sin being repulsive to us, what we do is we go, ah, oh, you know, it didn't hurt anybody. Yeah, I got caught. You know, I wish Jesus hadn't seen what I was doing, but next time I'll be a little more sneaky and it won't hurt anybody. The problem is, is that what we've done is we've just took the lie, hook, line, and sinker from the enemy that sin didn't bring death into our life. We just got caught, slap on the wrist, you know, no big deal, move on. No, sin brings death into our life every single time. And it hardens our heart every single time. And the less that we live in a state of repentance, the more we're going to live in a state of being sorry. Which means the more death is going to be brought into our heart. Which means the more we're going to struggle being conformed into the image of His Son. Which means the less mature we're going to be in our walk with Christ. And the more rebellious we're going to be with the trials that God brings into our life. Because every time God brings a trial into our life, He's revealing sinful areas that need to be conformed into the image of the Son of God. And see, that's one of the big problems that we deal with. Is that we don't want to go through the trial because the trial reveals areas that we're not yet sufficient. We're not conformed to Jesus yet. And we don't like to be made aware that we're sinful. We don't like to be made aware that there are things in our life that are not squared away. We like to think of ourselves as we have it all together. We like to think of ourselves as that we're a good person, being a good Christian, doing the best we can. Instead of looking at ourselves as someone who has been saved by grace, but yet still has a sinful nature, and that God is trying to daily conform us more into the image of the Son of God, so that way we are less likely to choose the sin from the temptation. And the reason we struggle is because we don't want to acknowledge our sin. We, we don't want to acknowledge that we can't. And we don't want to acknowledge that there's been death brought into our life. But sin brings it every time. 
So what I want to encourage you with is if you are in the middle of a trial right now, be still. Quit trying to figure it out. Quit trying to try to understand everything. Quit trying to figure out which direction you need to go. Simply be still and listen and hear what God is saying. Because what we find in trials is that God is finding an area in your life and in my life that is not conformed into the image of His Son. And what He's doing is He's trying to work out of you what's preventing you from being conformed into the image of His Son. That is the definition of a trial. And every single time that you are in that trial, Satan is going to tempt you to sin to not be conformed into the image of his son because the one thing Satan does not want is for you to be and look and act more like Jesus. Because that's going to make his job that much harder. And so what we're doing by giving in to the temptation and sinning and not repenting but just being sorry we got caught, we are actually making the enemy's job that much harder. So I'm going to ask a couple questions today to you and to me as we close up here. What are some areas that you've been walking through trials lately and have you acknowledged those areas in your life as areas that God is trying to help you grow from sin to conforming into the image of His Son? What have you done about it? Have you repented of that? Have I repented of that? Or are we looking at it as if we're just sorry that we've done it, we're sorry we got caught, and we're just hoping that the trial and the pressure and being overwhelmed is going to end quickly. We're just going to kind of ride out that storm. Are we willing to acknowledge our sin? Are we willing to sit down and say, you know what, yeah, I've got a problem. Are we willing to sit down and turn that over to the Lord and say, God, I'm tired of being sorry I got caught. I'm tired of of the death that I've brought into my life. But God, what I want to do is I want to repent and I want to turn the other way. See, the word repentance is a military term that means that you turn 180 degrees and you walk completely the opposite other direction. Which means that if I have a sin that I'm walking towards and I've repented of that sin, then I turn around and I don't walk that way anymore. The problem is, is when we're walking in the sin, we get caught. We're sorry we get caught, but we're not walking away from it because we like it. We've got to get back to the point to where our repentance makes us repulsed by sin. And we're not there as a church and we're not there as a culture anymore. But I want to encourage you to be that way as an individual. What do you need to repent of today? What do I need to repent of today? That is keeping me from being conformed into the image of the Son of God. But also by being still, not only does it help me to recognize those things and lets me hear from the Lord. You remember the verse Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I'm God. By being still, you, you remember what God is doing in your life. Why God is doing what He's doing in your life you began to remember why sin is so repulsive. And you began to rest in God. You began to ask Him to let you be more aware of the temptation that's coming so you don't give in to it. 
Because sin will bring death every single time. So I pray this has been a challenge to you. I pray it's been an encouragement to you. I pray that it's caused you to be able to look at some things maybe a little differently. And I pray that it's, it's, it's moved you enough to where you, you need to do something today. Most of all, I pray if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, that you would understand that Jesus loves you so much that He died on a cross in your place so that you could be able to have your sins forgiven and be able to spend all eternity with Him. I encourage you to talk to somebody that you know is a Bible-believing Christian and a follower of Christ today to talk to them about salvation. Also, lastly, uh, as Christmas time is coming up, I do encourage you, if you've not been able to pick up a copy of the book that I wrote, The Reality of the Enemy, which is kind of really uh, a, a version of what we talked about today. I wrote I wrote a book on uh, the temptation in the garden with Eve, and I, I basically laid out the model that Satan uses when it comes to temptation. Um, and so it, it, it would help a whole lot based on what we talked about today. Uh, it's entitled The Reality of the Enemy. You can purchase it off Amazon or off uh, Barnes & Noble's website. It's not actually in a bookstore, but it's on those two websites. You can pick it up. And uh, it's a very short read, um, very simple, very detailed, very laid out. You could even use it as a morning devotion if you wanted to. It's so short and simple. Um, but I encourage you to pick that up as a Christmas gift uh, for somebody. Maybe you want to pick it up for yourself. I know some people uh, said that they wanted to buy it as Christmas gifts or stocking stuffers um, for some of their family members. I encourage you to do that uh, and be able to get that and, and hopefully help you. Uh, I pray that this has been a blessing to you. We look forward to getting back into our time next week here in the book of James.